I have a standing meeting with my team, with my sales team, and actually I'll say like, like the full go-to-market team called How to Make Selling Easier. And it's simply to hear from them where the friction points are, where they're spending time on things that is not high leverage, it could be spent elsewhere. And so on it, if you think of it, it's just like a design principle. It's a design where you're trying to build empathy for your user. I'm just looking at my revenue team as my customer as well. Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week, we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together, we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on, and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals, and retain more customers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Revenue Insights. Myself and Tony are joined today by, uh, with Puyan Salehi, who is the CEO and co-founder at Scratchpad and also a serial entrepreneur. Um, Puyan, great to have you on the show. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm great. Thanks. Amazing. And I've been doing a lot of kind of digging into your background. I'm so fascinated, um, like obviously very heavily set in like a sales background, gone from StackMob to Lira Labs to Persist IQ and now at Scratchpad. So first thing I'd really love to know is where, where did the inspiration for that come from? For continuing to start companies or for being in sales tech for this long? <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess for continuing to be in sales tech and, yeah. and Scratchpad in particular. So if you would have told me seven, 10 years ago that I'd be building software and building products for salespeople, I wouldn't have believed you. It's, it's nothing in my background up until that point had indicated anything towards sales. If anything, it was more um, operations, hardware, um, engineering. And my, you know, my co-founder and I started working together 10 years ago. And what drew us together was this appreciation, this desire to solve problems where design had a meaningful impact on how people worked, how people lived. Um, and not just how things looked, right? Now, that's not what I mean by design, but at the core, like really good fundamental design that solves a problem. And we had built a couple products together. We built one, gosh, I don't even want to call it a company. Like it was just the product that maybe had one customer. It's probably far stretched from a company. Um, and then we built another one. So we just were in this iteration phase and finally start, something started to, to take off. And we we're like, whoa, this is one, this feels great. And it's, it's kind of cool, but then we're like, well, we actually have to start selling now. We looked at each other. We're like, neither one of us has sales experience. Um, and you can't just go hire a salesperson. We had no capital. We're bootstrapping the thing. So what do you do? You learn how to sell. Um, so we learned, we you know, talked to as many salespeople as we could. We read as many sales books as we could. And at the end of the day, it's just picking the phone up and calling. Um, and, then, and back then, we measured our, our calls by calls per day, not even calls per hour. Um, because it just took so much hype to make one cold call and get used to it. But what happened though is that was that I think a pivotal moment because it built so much appreciation and empathy for sales. Right? If you if you kind of look at these two worlds that exist, there's the world of sales, and then the, there's the world of like building technology to solve problems. And it just so happens that sales has a lot of problems to solve, and so that's what slowly pulled us in, and we started focusing on that. I love that. Um, so, what, what's the biggest problem in sales? 
I know it's a loaded question. It really is. I mean, the <laughs> biggest, there's, there's so many problems to solve. And I think the biggest might actually depend on who you are and what your perspective is, right? So if you're, if you're an account executive, the biggest problem in sales to you will probably be different than if you're the RevOps person or the sales leader or the enablement person. But I'll tell you from the rep's perspective, what we learned, and this is what caused us, um, really pulled us to start Scratchpad is there is nothing built for you as a salesperson. You have to show up every day to go do this job, but all of the tooling, most, it's not fair to say all, the majority of the tooling is built for everybody else. It's built for your manager. It's built for your leader. It's built for the company. It's built for RevOps. And you are forced to do that process. You're forced to follow that process. And oftentimes it's counter to you being successful in your own job. And so you have to spend all your day doing what you need, generate pipeline, get on customer calls, try to support customers if you're full stack, whatever it is. And then you have to do extra work to show the work that you did or try to keep the process moving in that way. And so I think that that's something I've consistently heard from talking to, gosh, probably thousands, if not tens of thousands of AEs by now. I really like the approach. So I'm quite intrigued how, you know, with that perspective, I guess what you've learned from the market. Now that obviously with Scratchpad going to market, do you, have you kind of been able to like build a lot of that insight into how you run your revenue teams? Yeah. Um, I mean, I have a standing meeting with my team, with my sales team. And, and actually, I'll, I'll say like, like the full go-to-market team called you know, How to Make Selling Easier. And it's simply to hear from them where the friction points are, where they're spending time on things that is not high leverage. It could be spent elsewhere. And so on a, you know, it's, if you think of it, it's just like a design principle. It's a design where you're trying to build empathy for your user. I'm just looking at my revenue team as my customer as well. You know, how can I as a leader serve them so that they can be uh, their best? And what's surprising is, you know, we talk to a lot of senior um, or sales leaders and RevOps leaders, enablement leaders. What's surprising to me is how few organizations do that. You know, and especially what's like, if you're in RevOps, that's kind of the job in my perspective, right? Yet very few actually sit down and just shadow an AE or a CSM or an AM and say, hey, let me just watch what it takes to move an opportunity from this stage to this stage, or, you know, all those validation rules and required fields we put in, let me see the impact of that. And it just doesn't happen. Tony, I'd love to get your perspective here now, because um, I think with, with PM, we very much share a, a, a love and appreciation for, you know, looking at it from the perspective of the rep rather than perhaps looking at it from the, 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 the leader's perspective um, very much up there. So, for you, do you kind of, and obviously you can probably touch on a little bit like how we do things here at Ebster as well. Um, how are you kind of looking at integrating it and taking that approach? I think having come, because I, I was uh, uh, way back when a, a first generation SDR. So I've, I've been in that kind of rep shoes. I'm, I think I'm probably very fortunate in the fact that I've, 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 I know the pains of using our CRM. And although I'm very data driven, um, I, it, it's clunky, right? So like, like you said, like you, you build these tools like, like a scratch pad to where you don't have to keep going to these 10 different places, but your workflows, your individual things that are going to help you, you're able to kind of integrate these across across the board, which is why it's so successful. And I think even having joined Ebster, the, the way that we talk about kind of democratizing this technology is because it, it yes, C-suite and yes, absolutely. But what about the user? What about the person that's managing themselves and pushing themselves forward to be, to be better? Um, Absolutely. You have to sit down with that person 
and show me end to end. Like you can't build anything without understanding the reality of what currently sits there because you're not going to know what looks great, what looks what was terrible. Um, and likewise, in my mind, I can go, right, these 10 steps, yeah, great, wonderful, that's that's really clean and beautiful. But in reality, I, I know that a salesperson will skip over those three. So are they relevant and do they need to be there? Or am I putting them there just so I can gather some data points around it? So I completely agree. You, you, have, to, you have to embody who it is that you're talking to, why you're doing something in the first place, um, because ultimately the internal is those people that are our customer and if you can build internally a beautiful journey for those then they're able to to deliver an incredible prospect journey on the back of that as well it's it's about keeping both both sides of the coin happy and uh what i'm really fascinated by is uh, kind of off the back of that you know bearing in mind that a lot of the people listen to this you know will be sales leaders and and revenue leaders and when we're talking about it from this perspective what why do you guys think it's so valuable to look at it from the perspective of actually, you know, empowering the, ex- the, the the reps, empowering the managers? I should throw that over to someone. Puyan, it's all yours. So I guess let's take that question and explore it by putting some constraints on it. Why is it so important to focus on the AEs or the front line and then, and then the managers there? Well, just think, what happens if you don't prioritize them? They're the ones that are driving the revenue. They should be the priority. And so I think it really is, and Tony, you kind of called this out um, in, in what you said, which I love. It's, you know, it's this mindset um, that the, not the, really the company needs to have, but probably spe- specifically RevOps and sales leadership, is do we view AEs, our frontline, as our priority, as our customer, as our internal driver of revenue, or do we, or do we see process first? And I think where a lot of folks tend to lean is more process first. And then just have everyone fit into this really rigid linear process. Well, people don't work in linear ways. And to the extent that we want to make them work in linear ways so that we have a well-defined, crisp, clear process so that we can you know, think we're being more data-driven or predict, it's, it doesn't always work well that way. Sales isn't generally linear. I mean, you want it to be, right? You say, like, we, let's build a repeatable sales process. We've got our stages and exactly they follow. I mean, how often does that happen? Yeah, I completely agree. I think... Especially as RevOps as well. I think if you're in a position to where you are in a start, no, nobody opens the book and goes, oh, let's let's do it like this. This is exactly how we should do it. And this works for everybody. I think every every business model or framework or methodology is always going to be a couple of degrees off, right, to, to, to what it is that you do. And I think if we have the power to to build something, then, then to build it the way that you want, rip up that, rip, stitch it all together and, and, and make something that's going to work for you. And I think when we talk about why is it so important for the AEs, like, it's about the stuff that you can't measure. It's about creating a culture of happy people doing what it is that they love in the ways that are completely frictionless, that empower them because the momentum and the things that it is that you get from those type of teams, the the sales will take care of themselves because it's all about what that accounts for in the input. It's it's an additional 5-10% in effort and in a moment that matters that will push your revenue uh, above and beyond anything else that it is that you see. So all of these things that you can't see as well as all the beautiful process, they they, they compound over time. They, they, they keep going and the output will take care of itself. And it's it's almost like if, if, you're, if you're treating everything in the correct way here, then that it, it's just the output of the customer journey is almost the result of that. Yeah, I'll, just, I'll add one thing to that because I, I, I take a very similar approach. I think there's the process part, but then there's the people part and making sure that you're hiring the right people. 
And so much emphasis is put on the process to make sure that we've got all these stages and steps and what have you. So as Tony's saying, is like we can get to the outcome that we want. But in a way, if you make sure that you're hiring the right people that are aligned with your values, that you know you don't have to babysit, then that's what creates that environment that Tony's describing for things to happen, the score taking care of itself. Because you've got the right people, you've got just enough of the right process, and everything else is to, uh, is to ensure that happens. And listen, sales is a really hard job. You know, I love people who look at it and say, oh, gosh, why are they making so much money? And like, you know, I should, I should be <laughs> yeah. in sales. I was like, sure. Right? Like, we're hiring. <laughs> like, apply. But the level of, I don't know of any other role where the emotional battle that you have to take on, honestly, apart from like being a founder, is so high. The highs are high, the lows are lows, and the ability to take that and show up every day and deliver and do the work is not for everybody. Um, and so I think that there is like, those are the parts that I'm saying is the empathy for the person on the front line, like what they're actually trying to do, what's the context in which they're trying to do it. Um, and so if you have all that stress already, and then now I've got all this other stress from my manager on my back, making sure I've filled out med pick fields and all this other stuff, that's what leads to that unhappiness. I love the, um, uh, the, I guess, the theme that we're on at the minute around like customer centricity. Is that a word? Maybe. Um, but it is I guess, <laughs> thanks, I needed that. Um, so how do you, you know, not suggesting that, um, I think it's something that I'm hearing a lot more, you know, from a, a marketing perspective, but also like a go-to-market perspective as well. And so if looking at it through the lens of, you know, sales teams in particular, where exactly do you get started in terms of like building that out? You know, we've touched on, you know, a, you know, you need that beautiful process running behind the scenes, but also you've got to start with your customer, like at the very forefront. So where do you think that um, process is the wrong word, but where do you think that all starts from in terms of taking that more customer centric focus? I don't know if you need a beautiful process on the back. I think what you need is a simple process. And to some, simplicity is beauty. That's to me. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll call it beautiful process in that way. Mm-hmm. But I think it starts with listening. And I think it starts with listening and having a point of view on you know what it is we're trying to do. Is it just get a deal done? Is it trying to get a deal done in a certain way? Like, are there good deals that we've closed that we're excited about? Are there deals we've closed that we're not excited about, right? A closed one deal is not all the same. You can, you can close the wrong customer. That's going to cause all sorts of problems further downstream. And, and in the same way of losing a deal, not all lost deals are the same. There are some deals you should lose, right? It's just not the right fit because, again, otherwise it would be in that bad closed one Bucket. So that's what I mean by it starts by listening, having a point of view. What is it that we're actually trying to achieve? Um, do we want to deliver a delightful customer experience? I think some people say that, but do they, you know, do you really know what that means and, and what it takes to do that? So I think those are all the inputs. And then you just work backwards and say, okay, well, how much rigidity or structure do we really need to have in our process? But where do we need to leave some flexibility for that to naturally develop for that to happen? So I don't know if I answered your question, but that's, uh, no, no, I think it, uh, what's really interesting is, do you think that starts with the the leaders or is it more, or should that be coming, I guess, from an ops function as well? Well, I don't, I, I think it can start 
from from anywhere. But I, I don't think it's going to go far unless you have leadership at the highest level supporting it and bought in. Because it could be that you you have a leader who's just not aware of it, and then you have a very strong ops or enablement, or or you know that idea can surface up from anywhere in the organization. But it should be embraced, um, or it could you know exist at the top and then that's communicated down and, and, and again, embraced that way. So, um, I don't know, one of our values at the company is, I, you know, great ideas can come, come from anyone and anywhere. And so I think it, it, to me, it's less important on where the idea originates, but more is it something that everyone gravitates towards. Nice. I, um, something that just to change the topic, like ever so slightly, something that I picked up on, um, having listened to some of the other podcasts that you've kind of delivered recently you know, we've touched a lot around like empowering execs and, and managers, but I think another thing that you've kind of touched on a lot as well is actually improving the collaboration between teams. And and that's obviously something that is, I, I know Tony, for you will be very front of mind within a RevOps role as well. So um, I'd love to hear a little bit more around, you know, why that is your belief, Pia. Why is collaboration across teams inside a revenue org so important? Um, yeah. So... In, I, I, again, this is a trend I'm seeing in the world that I'm in, which is more in, and I, I guess it's, it's broader as well. Um, more, there are more folks involved in a sale, generally speaking. Now, this isn't for every sale. There are some sales where it's still very much, as a salesperson, you're kind of just solo. You're running. You got your territory. You don't really need much from other people. You can go out and prospect and close and support, and, and it is what it is. But especially in SaaS, that's radically changing. That just that's no longer the case. I mean, you you have depending on how your structure is, whether you are direct sales driven, bottom up driven, both, you know, a, a hybrid of some sort, but there are multiple people involved in and I guess I hate calling it just a sale, in delivering a customer experience. And if you think about, okay, well what might happen if you don't have great collaboration? And that's what happens today in most organizations is you, you one you get a lot of drop balls right? Between in, in getting the deal done from an SDR to AE, from an AE trying to pull in an SE, passing it off to a CSM and an AM. There's just stuff that's just lost and dropped. Um, especially, you know, we, it, it was some examples we've seen where, you know, somebody who was an account manager on a really important renewal had to go out on paternity, maternity leave. And all of their notes for this account were in their Evernote. And Somebody else was trying to help step in. And so they just approached this as another renewal. Whereas in their notes, it was saying, hey, we have to approach this differently because this, per- this company had such a poor onboarding experience with us. Don't try to go for the upsell, just go for the save. And it completely blew up because they went for, uh, for an upsell and they had zero context on everything. And so if you're that customer, you're like, what the, you know, like this, what, does this company actually even care about us? Or are they just, are we just like another number there? And so, you know, that's just one example of how it can lead to lost revenue, but also a really bad customer experience, which then impacts your brand. So that's why I think making sure you have great alignment across your entire revenue team is so important. Um, yeah, I could talk about that for hours, but hopefully that, that answered the question. Absolutely. And uh, I, I, I could talk about it about for hours as well. But let me, I'll point you in a direction then. Um, so with that in mind, I'm in complete agreement. So how do you kind of take that, you know, that belief? And then within Scratchpad, how are you guys actually driving that collaboration between your teams? In a word, simplicity. Because I believe people, 
want to collaborate. I believe people be- like know how important it is. And the reason they're not doing it today is because it's just so damn hard. It's, I'm in the camp. I think Salesforce is great. I really do. Um, I think there's, it's, it's like the ultimate in no code, low code. They were the OG. It's so flexible. There's a lot that you can do with it, but it's not the place that people generally work because it is a little, it's overwhelming. It's slower. It's hard to input information. It's hard to access information and it's just not simple. And that's why most folks go out and use Evernote, Mac notes, OneNote, whatever it is and spreadsheets and what have you. And so what ends up happening is you just have a very complex system. Information's all over the place. Different people work in different ways, right? We're all, I I bet you if you watch all three of us work towards the same goal, we're going to operate in very different ways in the way we take notes, how we access information. So when you take all of these factors and combine them together, then it's almost like we're shocked that anybody could even collaborate in this environment. So that's why I say simplicity, right? We just tried to remove as many clicks as possible, remove as many tab switches as possible, remove as many apps as possible. So that way, you know, Tony, if you're passing a deal off to me, I know exactly where to go look. And it's easy for me to do so. It fits within my workflow. It's fast. And it's actually somewhat delightful to get your notes. Why did this customer purchase? What are they hoping to achieve as a first outcome on on deployment? Um, you know, are there changes happening in the account that I should be aware of, right? So all the things that I would need as an AM or CSM to do my job well, and all the stuff that you probably captured in the sales process, just, you know, make it an easy way to capture it and surface it up. Um, there, there are many ways inside the product that we do that, all sorts of features and all this other stuff. But I, I think at the end of the day, that's the philosophy that we've taken. Um, and that job is never done because we're constantly learning of new ways to make it faster and make it easier. Uh, but that's what's driving a lot of collaboration. I'm going to ask this question and leave it open to both of you. Do we believe that um, that simplicity comes from process? Strong no on that one. Yeah. Why? Hard, hard no. I think. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I've got my white, I've got a mini whiteboard here. I've got a whiteboard here and I've got a mini whiteboard here. Um, because I'm following your guys' conversation, but I think it. So it goes into. Right, so the collaboration side of things, right? And it's uh, what? Why is it important? And it's all about the transfer of information, no matter where you are. And I, I think, Pia, you've come from from an ops background, and it's allowed you to really understand the importance of that. Whereas you can you can understand how your design of your tools is then it, how it impacts because that. And it's the same reason to why RevOps is is now this big thing because you've got a single lens looking at everything with that same mindset. And right, that goes to that, and that impacts that. And I think simplicity and the collaboration people do want that people people want to talk about it but it's 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 difficult because people might not understand the true impact of it so i think it's it's pulling in and showing people the true impact so whether that's more of a deal more of a close one more of a recognize somebody day and and, and and the values around it but i think simplicity comes from the, the people that you hire i think when we were, maybe 10 minutes ago when we were talking about what's important what are those first steps and it's it's not the process it's it's who you're bringing on to that initial vision and if somebody has that mindset up here and that trickles all the way down you're going to forget the process that that can be built afterwards if you've got a winner with the right mindset they'll outsell everybody all day but I think simplicity is just purely mindset and that that want and that that curiosity to to keep iterating against that that one thing to and like you say, pick a side, lean into it. What are we doing and why are we doing it? And keep leaning to that. And then everything that you do on the back of it should fall into place. Process, people, everything. I sense a uh, a common thread here where it's I think a lot by the sounds of it, a lot of 
this kind of begins with hiring, right? In terms of like who you're bringing in and Toyan, this is perhaps something that you can give a, a fair bit of insight into. Um, like from your perspective then, obviously building out the, the team that you have there now, I guess, what did the hiring process look like? With this in mind, was there a specific, you know, was there specific values that you were looking for? Is there kind of, oh my God, this person is this, they're going to be great for, you know, the company that I'm trying to build? Yeah, we were very deliberate about our values. Simplicity is the first one that's up there. Although I do, I do think it's something that you can teach. I do agree with Tony. I think it comes from a mindset because a lot of folks naturally tend to complicate things and feel like that's what makes something better. Now, they wouldn't say, oh, I want to complicate things. But you know, if you think about what is process, it's, it's a system to help you achieve something. And that's why I don't think it needs to be processed first. I, I actually think simplicity comes from understanding the why. It just, it's stepping back and asking, why? Why should we do this? Does this actually matter? And it comes from knowing exactly what problems to solve. And then once you know that, then yeah, maybe you just build a, a really complex, what you would consider a complex process, but because everyone knows the why and it fits, it's simple to work with, right? So in, in the, I know it's, it might be a little counterintuitive in that way, but that's in my experience is what I've learned is simply asking why and knowing your why is what leads to simplicity because then you can challenge all the assumptions that you've made that everyone else has made on why something needs to be the way it is. And it could lead you to the opposite. We're like, we actually don't need any process for this at all. And just let people work in the way that they work. But this is, this is the thing that we really care about. So a lot of what we look for in the interview process, or at least what I look for is, is less on direct experience. And again, this is, this is, I'm talking more into for some specific roles and certainly at the company level. Now, in some roles, you, you really do need direct experience, right? Like you're not going to hire, if you need to hire a general counsel, you're not going to hire somebody that's never been an attorney before. Like that's not going to work. Or <laughs> same thing for software engineer. But in certain roles, um, it's less about the direct experience on a resume, but more about the competencies and the motivations that they have because they may actually have a lot of experience that's directly transferable. It just looks different. And so if you abstract experience away and look for the competencies that attach to the role or the job to be done, um, we've, had, we've had a lot of success with that approach. Mm, I think the, the, the thread that I can sense like coming through a lot of this is really that alignment that comes from the top. So I think that's a message that will definitely resonate with um, the, you know, the people listening to this, where it's very much, you know, starts at the, you know, with the people at the very top and then feeding a lot of that down through everyone that you hire. Because I'm sure that inevitably, you know, PM, the people that you hire will be hiring other people. And then, but naturally that starts to flow through your whole, whole process at that stage. So I think off the back of that, I think that's a really interesting, I love the learning that you've had. I'm quite intrigued to take us in a slightly different direction. And I guess from, from you know, the is it nearly three years now that you've kind of been leading Scratchpad, what, what other than what we've just discussed, what have been the biggest learns from your perspective? Building for salespeople is hard. It is really, really hard. Why? Everyone works differently. You even pick and constrain it down. The same organization, the same company, Right? Same Salesforce instance, you'd, you'd argue the same sales process. Even break it down to like the same division, right? Whatever. Commercial, mid-market, or uh, enterprise, it doesn't really matter. Within the same group, let's say you got 10 people, they're all going to work very differently. 
And so this idea that you can build a product that is quote unquote for salespeople is is so hard because salespeople are all so different. Yes, at the end of the day, it is about revenue, but the way you achieve it, how your process is, how you like to start your day, um, how you take your calls, you take your notes, how you stay organized, how you communicate with others. And it, it introduces a level of complexity. I just, I knew it was there, but I didn't appreciate how complex it was. Now, I love it. My co-founder loves it because again, for us, it's like the ultimate challenge in simplicity and flexibility. If we can build something that a wide range of salespeople can just naturally adopt and say, you know, this is for me, this works for me. Uh, because it means we've built something that is flexible enough and that can adapt to how people work instead of trying to make them adapt to, uh, you know, a very rigid, structured way that we've defined to work. So that's probably been one of the hardest things from a product perspective. I reckon we can resonate yeah, that pretty probably. well, right, Tony? <laughs> in a, Absolutely. In a, in a very similar space. Yep. Um, and, you know, from from my perspective, you know, marketing it and, very much over the last kind of 12 months it's been that realization of it's we're overcomplicating it and actually simplifying it down and really boiling it down to like its very base kind of elements has been where it's like oh my gosh now it's really starting to land and really starting to get through because it is taking that more simple approach and i think i think it's so intriguing like watching that start to come through now because in the world that I'm in, in marketing, you know, it's become, you know, from, in a, from a maturity level, it's so much further down the line, you know, everyone's expected to be data driven, everyone is expected to be, you know, using this massive tech stack. And what's so interesting is looking at it, uh, and looking at the sales industry, and it's, you know, initially, my perspective was, oh, it's, you know, starting to, ha- it's heading in that direction, but it's nowhere near um like at that stage yet you know comparable to where marketing is is at at the minute and um i suppose of like off the back of that Puyang, where where do you think that i guess like the sales tech stack is going you know we've talked about keeping it simple but do you think it will remain simple or do you think it will get more complex as it builds up over time it's a good question. I guess it depends on how you're defining simple and complex because one dimension is just the raw number of tools. I think that's something that everyone can agree with, like literally everyone, <laughs> from the vendors to ops people to sales people to leadership to even finance and legal is like, how many more tools are we actually going to, yeah. to need here or to buy here? Like this is, this is kind of becoming out of control. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because some of the tools... Like they might be solving pro- new problems that are coming online because of new ways that we're learning to sell. And some of them may be problems, solving problems that everyone had just overlooked. So I don't know if the number of tools itself is a definition of complexity. I think it's in how you work with them. Because imagine a world where, yeah, you had a bunch of tools, but what if it was just so easy to use? You know exactly what tool to use when it was easy to access. Like, would you complain about the number of tools? Probably not as a salesperson. Now, you might complain as an ops person or um, legal if you got to go through all the MSAs and finance if you have to pay for it all. But that, that's why I mean, it, it's, I think it's a more um, nuanced question. But I do think there's a lot of overlap in tools right now. Um, and I think that's going to increase. So, one, one trend that we're seeing is, and this has been happening for years, is like people look at the world through the lens of functionality. 
right? So you can look at a checklist and say, oh, well, like this tool has this, this, and this features. Why would we need that other one? And they lose the context on how you access those features, how it actually helps. And so they're like, oh, well, we can consolidate. That's That must be a good thing. But then you do it and then you're like, oh, well, this those features and functionality don't actually work all that well, even though it's on that checklist. So I, I think, I don't know if I have a direct answer for you, but I think just sifting through what we're actually trying to achieve and what's going to help us achieve that as an organization, that's going to be harder because there's so much more noise and, oh, well, we can do this too. And we can do this too. And that, that product also has it too, as like a, you know, a secondary feature in what they do. So I actually feel, I feel for the folks that are assessing tools and trying to, uh, and try to purchase them because that's, there's a lot of noise out there. No, I completely agree. I think it's, the the name of the game isn't just the the consolidation. It's not about right. How can we group as much together? I think lot so much tech now is oh well yeah we do that but we also do all these things as well because they're trying to grab a bit of the market but they're 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 doing it not very well and I don't think there's anything wrong like you said with getting a tool that's really good at that one bit because it's it's the outcome and it's the user experience and how all these group together and I think. It's about efficiency, optimization, and getting the most out of the tools, not necessarily grouping it all together so you've only got one no. sign-in button. That's that's not the name of the game. And I think, like you said, there's there's problems out there that we didn't even know we had yet, and there's going to be a thousand more that we're, we're going to see as well. And I think enough now we've seen tools try to spread themselves too thin and, and claim a bit of market, and it, it, it's almost like it lets it lets it down what they do really great. It lets down what they do not not so well. Um, and I think, like you say, sometimes you've got to just lean into the thing that you're really good at and own it and go for it. And you might only take up a little bit of the bow tie, but that that might be it. And that might be a niche and, and go for it. And I, I like the way, like you say, that Scratch, like everybody works a little bit different, like a sales, but and I, I, the thing that I love about Scratchpad is like you're, you are really embodying where everyone goes. It's Mac notes. It is a spreadsheet. It is over here and it, and it connects to all these things because it's, it's relevant and it works really quickly. But if you were to keep going out and out and out and out it will it become this this kind of monster that you don't really know where to go in and everything else kind of falls down there after it so yeah i I completely agree beautiful guys i'm conscious that we're coming up to time so um and i want to give you you know a, a minute two minutes give you the stage you know to our listeners out there where can they hear more about you where can where can they hear more about scratchpad yeah, if, if any of what we've said sounds interesting, um, just go to scratchpad.com. We've got, uh, I mean, you can just sign up for the product and start using it if you're on Salesforce. Um, if you do, I'd love any feedback. Um, it's just my first name, dot, my last name at, at scratchpad.com. Um, let me know about your experience. But that's, uh, again, keeping it simple. That's where we are and that's how to get, get a hold of me. Amazing. Well, thank you both. And thank you to everyone for listening. We'll, uh, we'll catch you next week. All right, thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.